but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to, do, to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made, it, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would ha- become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down or attacked the head of Jonah so that he was faint. He withered, and he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and you tell us that your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and instructing. And Father, we pray that your word would do those things this morning. Uh, as we sit under your word, we humble ourselves before it. Would you, would you teach us of your grace? Would you renew us in Christ? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the past 2,000 years, from Pentecost to the present day, God has been pleased to work at times through revivals working revivals in the hearts of people, turning their people's hearts to the Lord. And the church of all ages has longed to be part of God's work of revivals, longed to see people turn, countless numbers of people turn to the Lord in repentance and freedom and joy, longing to see the powerful and glorious fruits of their ministry labors in the time and place where they minister, and it's not just been something that the church rejoices in, but heaven itself. Lord Jesus Christ said that heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents, even more than 99 that do not need repentance. And the revival that the Lord brought in Nineveh stands alone in its immediacy and expansive impact because Jonah came in and preached a simple message of judgment. And all the people, from the least to the greatest, turned from their evil ways and the wickedness in their hands. What a, what a blessing to Jonah. I mean, what, how, what, a, uh, what a gift to be an instrument of God's mercy and grace to an entire city of people. What an honor 
for him to see the immediate and powerful fruit of his prophetic ministry coming to bear on the souls of those people. And oh, that the Lord would grant Zion Presbyterian Church that, that gift of seeing the fruit of our ministry labors, seeing men and women uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ, seeing uh, the salvation of their souls as they turn from their idols and turn to the one true and living God. Which makes Jonah's response all the more shocking, doesn't it? Because rather than praising God, he pouts. Rather than singing for joy, he sulks. And rather for, than dancing with delight, he is disgusted at what God has done. But yet again, as we've seen chapter after chapter in this story, God is compassionate, even to this angry prophet. You know, Jonah, Jonah grumbles, and yet God is gentle and gracious. The Lord doesn't push Jonah away in disgust. He draws him near so that he can teach him even more about the nature of his abundant grace. But of course, beloved, this, this isn't primarily a story about Jonah. This is a story, this is God's word where he's revealing himself and his compassion and mercy to us. And this is useful for us. We, you and I are far more like Jonah than we care to admit. Uh, we, we come with expectations for how God will act toward us even when it comes to how he will administer his grace and his mercy. But what God reminds us in this chapter is that he and he alone is sovereign over his love and his mercy. God will have mercy upon whom he has mercy, and he will have compassion on whom he has compassion. And that mercy and that compassion is good, is good. Chapter 4 is primarily this dialogue between Jonah and the Lord. Um, Jonah is irate and the Lord instructs. And we can, we, we hear about God's compassion yet again, and it's like there's these two primary sections where we'll see that compassion. First, we hear the prayer of a pouting prophet, and then secondly, we, see, we hear a, a parable of a pitied plant. So first, let's look at the, the, the prayer that Jonah utters. So throughout the story where we, where we are to this point, the Lord sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah showed up. He proclaimed a message of, ju- of judgment. The people repented of their evil ways and their wicked deeds, and the Lord relented of the thing that he said he was going to do, the disaster, the overthrow, the judgment. Verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was, it was absolutely disgusting. This mercy that God had extended to wicked Nineveh was disgusting to this prophet of the Lord. It's, it's not hard to see in our English Bibles, but in the Hebrew Bible, there, there's this, been this play on words of a particular Hebrew word. The word is ra'ah, which normally is translated evil. It was used in chapter 1 when the Lord told Jonah, go call out against Nineveh because they're evil. 
has come up upon, uh, uh, before me. Uh, the king of Nineveh in chapter 3 said, told everybody to repent, to turn from their evil. Uh, but the word is also used sometimes with, res- with respect to God, as though God does this, but God does no moral evil. Uh, so in those cases, it's usually translated disaster. Uh, the sailors, they cry out, you know, why is this disaster, this ra'ah, this, this evil happening to us? We see both of those at the end of chapter 3, where Nineveh repents of its evil, and the Lord relents from his disaster that he was going to bring. When we get to the beginning of chapter 4, that word is used again with emphasis, as if to say, it was evil to Jonah with great evil, and he was angry. In other words, It was a greater evil that God was merciful to Nineveh than the evil of Nineveh itself was before the Almighty God. And he says to the Lord, he prays to the Lord and he says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, from ra'ah. He didn't flee in chapter 1 because he was afraid of Nineveh. He didn't flee because he didn't know what to say to Nineveh. He fled because he knew that God might show them mercy. If he proclaimed that message, they might repent and God would be merciful. Well, how did he know that? Well, beloved, it's because God has put up that billboard all throughout the Old Testament. What he describes here where he says, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's almost exactly verbatim what the Lord says of himself in Exodus chapter 34 when he says, this is my name. This is my character. But even there's, there's over 15 such references where the Lord uses almost that that specific language about who he is, not to mention all the ways that he demonstrated it time and time again over the course of history. He said it about himself, and he does it. Our God is merciful and compassionate. But why would that make Jonah angry? Actually, I don't think we have to work too hard to really get to that answer. Because I, th- I think there's something in us that can get frustrated or angry at God's gracious mercy. We want God's mercy for ourselves, just like Jonah did as he was sinking down in the sea and he cried out for deliverance. And we want it for our people, however we define our people. I mean, remember... Elder Bell did a great job of highlighting the context, the historical context of Jonah's prophecies. That they, they, he was living in a time where Israel was wicked and God was gracious to Israel, but that was, that was a good thing. He was happy with God's grace for his people. And so often, I mean, we want God's grace for our people, however we define our people, you know. But those other people... 
whatever those not in our family, those not in our denomination, those not in our political party, those who have committed heinous sin that is repugnant to us or those who have sinned against us personally, we'd rather God would feel about them the way we feel about them and treat them accordingly. More to the point, we would want God to be heavy on the justice and light on the mercy. Because notice what's missing from Jonah's description of who God is. There's no, just, there's no mention of God's justice. But God describes himself just as much as being just. God is just. He says, vengeance is mine. But he's also merciful. Jonah knew this. God, Jonah just didn't want God to be true to himself. But then God responds to this bitter, suicidal prophet who says, it's better, he just moans, it's better for me to die than to live. And notice how the Lord responds. Do you do well to be angry? Just a simple, simple question. Do you, do you do well? And that's, that's the gentle way that our God approaches us. He reveals himself that way time and time again in Scripture. I mean, Adam sinned against God and he fled and God comes to the garden and he says, where are, where are you, Adam? Prophet Elijah, in fear, fled Jezebel, queen, wicked Queen Jezebel, and he goes and he hides and God shows up and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you, what are you doing? And Simon Peter turned his back on the Lord, denied him three times, the Lord Jesus Christ Simon, do you love me? God gently enters into our lives to ask questions, urging us to question our own hearts. He knows what's going on with our hearts, and he asks, he questions us. What If, if God were going to enter into your life right now with what's going in your heart right now, what would be his question for you? Is it, do you, do you do well to be so angry? Is it, do, do, you, do you do so well to be so anxious? Do I, not, do I not care for you? Is it, do you do well to, be, to run so far away from me, to stay so far away from my love? The Lord is kind to us. And despite Jonah's bitterness, the Lord's been at work in Jonah's life. It's hard to see it, but there is a difference between Jonah here in chapter 4 versus Jonah in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Jonah fled. He ran from the Lord, but here in chapter 4, he runs to the Lord. I mean, yes, he complains, but he's complaining to the Lord, and God teaches us to complain to him. The, the Psalms and the prophets are filled with prayers of complaints. God welcomes it. He he urges us to complain to him because if we're wrong in our complaint, then he gently teaches and instructs us of the truth. But if we're justified in our complaint, only he is the one that can do something to fix it. And so he wants us to come to him. And so he, Jonah does complain 
to the Lord. And yes, there is sin that is mixed in, bitterness and anger and hate and murder laced in Jonah's prayer. But beloved, here's, here's the truth, is that save for our great high priest Jesus Christ, not one of us prays perfect prayers. All of our prayers are mixed with sin, but God can take it. In fact, God invites it. <laughs> he delights to draw us in. He, he knows our hearts. He knows our, our, our weaknesses and our sins. And he still loves us. He still draws us near. Um, he welcomes us anyway. And beloved, I hope you're encouraged by the honesty of God's word. Because authentic faith matters. And God's word is true. And what is true is that we get angry at God. And God sees it and he reveals it to us in a way that we can see it in the life of Jonah and then check our own hearts. We have no right to get angry with God. And yet we do. God's ways are always right and good and perfect. And our ways are short-sighted and misguided and self-centered. And yet the truth is we do get angry. And yet we hear God's grace to us in the midst of our anger and complaining hearts that he still loves us even in the midst of that. He still draws us in so that he can train our minds to think his thoughts and train our hearts to beat to his pulse. He loves us. But God didn't just ask the question to Jonah. He also gave this living parable uh, a parable of a pitied plant. Um, so it says that Jonah went to, to the east side of the city. He, had, he would have come from the west side of the city. So he went through the city, came to the other side. And it says that he went and he built a, uh, a shelter or a booth. And he sat down under its shade. This is presumably after the 40 days that uh, he had prophesied that there would be destruction. And he wanted to see what the Lord would do. And in the course of that time, the Lord causes, he, it says, he points a, a plant to grow up and give shade. Now, just like with the fish in chapter 2, scholars have always tried to figure out what is the type of the plant that would have grown up and given this kind of shade. The type of the plant was never the point. This is the story about the Lord's compassion and grace. And this plant grows up and it gives shade and it says that he was exceedingly glad. And for all the 100-degree weather that we've had here in Texas, we understand the value of good shade and why that would make you exceedingly glad. But it says, the next morning, the Lord appointed a worm, and the worm attacked the plant, and the plant withered. And then when the sun came up, the Lord appointed a scorching east wind, and with the scorching east wind and the heat, it attacked the head of Jonah, and he grew faint. He withered, and he felt like he was going to die. And kids, um, I hope you've heard in this story of Jonah that God reveals that all the things that get called part of nature are actually things that worked out, are worked out in the course of God's good providence. Remember, God hurled the wind at 
the ship. He appointed the fish to swallow Jonah and then to spit Jonah out. He appointed this this plant, and then he appointed the worm. He cares about worms. He's controlling even the worms. Uh, he, he, he brings the scorching east wind, the sun, our Texas heat, our seasons. He, scripture says that he causes the grass to grow and the rain to fall, and he feeds the animals. All these things are part of God's hand. And so uh, a good exercise for you on your way home today is to think about all the things that you may have seen on your way to church today or over the past week that are part of God's creation that are evidence of the Lord's work in the midst of your life. But anyhow, this, this in the midst of the heat, Jonah is, uh, he feels like he wants to die. He says, it's better for me to die than to live. And, and yet again, the Lord approaches and he says, but is it, is it right for you? Do you do well to be angry over the plant? And now Jonah's hardened. He's like, yes, it is better for me. I am, I, it is good enough for me to die. And then the Lord explains his parable with patient instruction. He said, Jonah, listen, you, 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 you had concern over this plant. This, uh, you, you cared about this plant. It, you, didn't, you didn't do anything about this plant. You didn't, you didn't put, put the seed in the ground. You didn't water it. You didn't cause it to grow. You just benefited from its shade. But you, you had concern over it. You rejoiced when it was there. You were angry when it was gone. But you did nothing for it. And this is just a plant. It was here one night and gone the next. And if you would have that type of concern over a plant... How is it that I cannot have concern over Nineveh? This isn't, this isn't just, th- these are people, men and women, that I have created in my image for my own glory. These are not just people that are here one night and then gone the next. There are years and decades and generations of people. These aren't plants <laughs> These are men, women, and beasts, 120,000 of them. And if I've created them for my glory, for my praise and worship, how can I not be angry at what sin has done to them and not rejoice and be merciful when they repent? How am I unjustified in that? And beloved, what God reveals to us is that he is he is love, and he loves his creation. He does not desire that any should perish because he has created all things for his glory, all things. And he is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. He loves his creation, and that, beloved, is why we are compelled compelled to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why why we do outreach and missions and share the love of Christ? Because God loves. Because God loves to show mercy. It is his heartbeat to extend mercy to those who don't deserve it, who are perishing. And because God delights to be worshipped by those who have received his mercy in it his undeserved mercy. The beloved, oh, how our hearts stray from that, that calling. How we, 
how we are so prone to show partiality to the people that we think deserve God's grace and mercy to the expense of those who we do not. And how, how prone we are, like Jonah, to be to have partiality towards the things and concerns of this life that benefit us over the souls of the people around us. Beloved, what, what has your focus and attention and concern on a daily basis that causes you to forget about all the people that the Lord has put around you, that causes you to crowd out all the time in your life so you, you don't have that mercy for those people around you. Beloved, those things are real. Those are real things for us in the midst of the time and the place where the Lord has put us. But those things are temporary. God has charged us to show mercy to people, to reflect the love of Christ, to proclaim the message of grace to the people that the Lord has put around us, people who will either live for all eternity to the praise and glory of our God who deserves our praise, or who will face his terrible and just wrath for all eternity. God loves us and he calls us to extend that grace and love to others. That's how he calls us to glorify and praise him. And we know this, beloved, because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And this is undeserved grace, beloved. This is undeserved merit or undeserved favor and mercy because um, while we were yet sinners, that means while we were still rebels against this God, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. The Son of God who created all things and upholds all things came to make all things new. Came to do that by sacrificing himself for you and me. He came to proclaim the gospel in himself. He came to serve, not to be served. He came um, to give the right that we might become children of God. He came to seek worshipers that will worship our God in spirit and truth, all to the praise of his glorious grace. This is what Christ has done for us, and this is what he has called his people to do. But beloved, isn't it true that the Spirit clearly reveals Jonah's self-centeredness? He is self-centered in his understanding of God's mercy, and he's self-centered in his understanding of what is important. He's self-centered with respect to God's mercy, he's happy for the mercy for himself and for his people. It benefits him. And yet he has no interest in a mercy that doesn't benefit him. In fact, he wants justice. And with respect to what's important, he cares about a plant, but he couldn't care less about 120,000 people. And beloved, the sin that is in our hearts promotes self-centeredness. Sin invites it. Beware the tempting tentacles of self-centeredness. And this passage helps provide some warning signs, but also a 
a solution or a help, a remedy for self-centeredness. Jonah, self-centered people become increasingly petty. Notice Jonah's, Jonah's pettiness. First, he's angry at the Lord because he has shown mercy to Nineveh. Later, he's angry because he lost his shade. And such is the ridiculous nature of self-centeredness. We lose perspective on what is right and good. Um, Pastor Richard Phillips said this. He said, experience shows that self-centered people are the most unhappy people. They constantly complain. They're never satisfied. They take no joy out of life. They give little joy to others and precious little glory to God. Unless our hearts become consumed with causes and glories far greater than those of self, we waste our gifts and our calling and sit miserably under the beating sun of the world's trials, wishing that we could die. Beloved, does that, I, I, I implore you to search your heart. Does that describe you? Are you unhappy, complaining, no joy in life? If so, I urge you to humbly come before the Lord and ask him to reveal to you whether you are consumed with self-centeredness, if you are entrapped by it. God has called, he's created you for so, so much more, and he sent his son to set you free from that. Because, of course, the solution to that unhappy situation is to draw near to Christ, to repent of self-centeredness, and to, to align ourselves with Christ, to receive the gift that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, to give ourselves to love and serve others. It is, this is the, the glory that God has given to us in the ability to share the gospel of, of grace. Because not only does he set us free to stop being self-centered, he gives us the tools to grow in selflessness, to delight ourselves in caring about others enough to share the gospel of grace. Here again what Philip says. He says, God's point is that the way out of our self-consumed misery is to lift up our hearts to glory in the great scope of God's salvation, entering into his compassionate concern for the lost. The most joyful and most useful Christians are those with a passion for the gospel. They are also the ones who are growing in grace their souls expanding as they are filled with excitement for God's mercy in the world. Beloved, that is my hope for you and for me and for every member of Zion Presbyterian Church in Prosper. Beloved, if you are caught in a self-indulgent, self-serving, self-centeredness, know that Jesus Christ came to set you free. He considered you more valuable than remaining in heaven at his Father's right hand. He denied himself. He went to the cross for you to set you free, and he was risen from the dead to give you new life so that you can have the glory of being part of his redemptive work. Delight yourself in his kindness for you. Receive it and let that love compel you to share the love of Christ to those who God puts around you. The story of Jonah ends kind of a weird way. Ends with this question unanswered, this God's question kind of hanging in the air. 
Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh? Jonah doesn't answer, but more to the point, Jonah is really asking, Jonah, since I pity Nineveh, should you not pity Nineveh? Since I am merciful, should you not delight in that mercy? Jonah never answers the question, does he? We don't know how he responds, which in effect turns the question around to you and me. As if God were to say, since I have concern for the lost, should you not have concern for the lost? Since I have lavished my mercy and my grace upon you, should you not delight yourself in that mercy? How will you answer that question? How will you respond? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are ever gentle, ever gracious, ever loving. Thank you that your mercy, our sins though they are many, your mercy is more. Thank you for the the gift of going through this wonderful book of Jonah. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through it. Help us to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. Help us to delight ourselves in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.